Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome back. So excited to have with us today, John Regan. John is the CEO of Associated Industries of Massachusetts, the largest industry association in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and is just a fantastic leader and certainly someone I admire. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Juliet, thank you. I appreciate uh, the invitation to be part of your new podcast, and I deeply appreciate being your first guest. <laughs> well, I, I really am so thrilled to have you. So, as you know, in our last episode, I spoke about the importance of dreaming. I shared my personal story and talked about the framework for success that I use dream, plan, create, achieve, which is also the framework that I talk about in my books, The Guide to Strategic Networking and A Black Woman's Guide to Networking. So today, what I'm hoping to focus on, John, is for you to share, tell our audience your story about how you have utilized this principle of having a grand vision to achieve success in your life. So we're going to have a conversation and so I really, really look forward to this. And so why don't we go ahead and get started? Okay, I'm ready. Terrific. So the first question is, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I think, uh, interestingly enough, and this is one of those things where I, I, I have to start here just because of who I am and where I've come from, uh, born and raised in Dorchester uh, in the 60s and 70s a neighborhood that was very important to a lot of people, shaped how they think and act and how they behave. Uh, for me in particular, it was a, a neighborhood where I was uh, exposed to lots of different cultures and lots of different people, uh, enjoyed that aspect of growing up uh, in the city, uh, went to Boston Latin School, uh, graduated from Latin School and decided that I wanted to try to do something with my life that would be important uh, in terms of service to other people. So I decided to go into the seminary. Uh, not an unusual choice <laughs> for uh, uh, the young men of Dorchester. It's a little bit more rare today than it was uh, in the late 70s. In any event, got my undergraduate degree from the seminary, did about a semester in the graduate school, and then decided I don't think this is the right, this isn't the exact right path for me. However, that that impulse to do something meaningful, you know, live a life that was more about providing service than making money, mm -hmm. um, propelled me into a series of jobs. And I won't review them all, but I worked for a college that was serving um, adults who were coming back to college. Many of them graduated high school, you know, 15, 20 years ago and wanted to get their degree. And I was so, I admired them so much because they were juggling a lot and working so hard to better themselves and their families. Uh, after that, I had the great uh, fortune of running into an old Latin school buddy of mine uh, who I met in the, 
1978, uh, Tommy Finneran, who was the chair of the banking committee up at the Massachusetts State House of Representatives, uh, and he gave me an opportunity to join his staff. I started out on the constituent side, then I went on to the research side, learned a lot about the legislative process. Uh, he went from banking to House Ways and Means uh, in the middle of one of the worst economic crises Massachusetts has seen in the late in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it was a place where I learned an awful lot about the state budget, about the state house, about the people there and what they wanted to accomplish. And despite what now might seem like a lot of cynicism about public service, I was exposed to a group of individuals who felt passionately that, that the state could do good things and could uh, help people in a way that was somewhat unique. And I really bought into that message and that mission. The interesting thing about uh, Chairman Finneran, who went on to become Speaker Finneran, is he had a philosophy about how to make Massachusetts better that was very formative for me as I moved through the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. and, and his theory, and it's, a, it's kind of a simple one, but I think it is also profound, and that's true of a lot of simple expressions. It's, it's far better to grow the number of taxpayers Mm -hmm. And it is to increase the amount of taxes you're asking taxpayers to pay. So if you want the Commonwealth to be successful and to be able to provide the programming and the support that you believe is important, mm -hmm. you, need to, you need to grow the pie and make sure that there's more pie for everyone. I love that. Love that pie analogy, you know, because so many people have a fixed approach to things. So that's fantastic. Continue. As you and I have discussed in other arenas, if you have that zero-sum game, mm -hmm. then I can win only if you lose, mm -hmm. or you can win if I lose. And I don't believe that that's true. There's a way to right. expand opportunity. Right. And so having sort of absorbed that uh, in, in the, my service to the Ways and Means Committee, I then went on to other jobs that gave me opportunities to um, exercise my skills and my talent in furtherance of trying to create additional economic opportunity. I am fascinated by how you went from this initial plan of yours of going to seminary to then going to the state house to progressing in such a way where you were were now involved in such meaningful, different journey, but such meaningful work. And so I'd like to dig a little deeper, if we could, to, to understand your mindset, because so many of our listeners, whether they are professionals, whether they are entrepreneurs, have they may have a plan or they may have an idea of what they want to do, but to make that full shift, what was it for you? What kind of decision process did you go through? And how did you make that transition? So it, it very much began um, when I was at Ways and Means. And I don't know how much you know about that particular committee, but everything that's important goes through there. It's hectic. It's time consuming. It demands perfection and accuracy and honesty. And you meet some terrific people while you're there. Uh, in, in that period in my life, uh, recently married, starting a family, and the, the demands of time were 
extraordinary. Yes. And it became kind of obvious that for a, a married person just starting a family, it, it was a challenging place to work. And, mm-hmm. and when I when I decided to walk away, I, I knew it was the right decision, but I was heartbroken. And I remember sitting with the chair at the time and, and him saying, you know, the, the highs that you experience here and the lows that you experience here, you might never experience again. It's kind of unique. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate how much thought you put into deciding to move on. And I understand why you've done it. And as I was thinking about what came next, mm-hmm. I, I I knew what I didn't want to do. Like there were yes. a lot of opportunities for, I could have gone into lobbying. Yes. And, and when I say lobbying, I mean the client-based lobbying. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, I just, it wasn't something that appealed to me. I wanted to do something more in the policy space. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity to go out and become the chief of staff to the mayor of Marlboro, yeah. who remains, who who was and remains a dear friend of mine. Yeah. And I learned a lot about the importance of how well-run municipal government provides service to that community mm-hmm. and enjoyed my time there tremendously. Again, a time of great economic challenge for the city. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of transition in the high-tech community. And so the city was trying to figure out what comes next for us. Yes. In, in, in the middle of that, the mayor was tapped to be the uh, executive director for the Massachusetts Office of Business Development. Mm-hmm. And he was kind enough to bring me on as the deputy director. Yeah. So now we've gone from economic development at the local level right. to economic development at the state level. Right. It provided me the opportunity to be part of the growing of the jobs conversation. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and after you know, Mike, after the the director left for another position, uh, Governor Weld appointed me as the executive director for the mm-hmm. Office of Business Development. So I got to meet people all over the state, work on all sorts of projects in different communities. And the interesting thing about the way we reported our success. Of course, we would talk about, you know, X number of millions of dollars of investment, Mm -hmm. new equipment, built a building, had a groundbreaking, but it was always about how many jobs these projects would create. And so it allowed me to continue to focus on that. Let's do everything we can to grow the pie, grow the number of taxpayers. So you still had, you kept in mind your grand vision for yourself in terms of creating economic opportunity and expanding the pie. I also heard you say that you knew what you didn't want to do. And that is such an important part of learning, growing, and really trying to achieve one's goals, knowing what to say no to, correct? And so, you know, I I, I think that is really a critical nugget for our listeners. And it's amazing the trajectory that you had. And I'm just curious, how did that knowing what you didn't want to do help you to define the kinds of things you wanted to do? I I need to be really honest here. Um, When you look back, it sounds like it was was this very well-orchestrated plan yeah. There, there is so much 
luck, and I, I don't know what else to call it. It, you know, some people would say being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is being open to opportunities that make ah, sense to you. Yeah. See, I prefer to think of it that way. Right? Okay. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Oh, what, what's that saying? Luck is when preparation meets, preparation opportunity, meets opportunity, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No. And I think, you know, I've been very fortunate. I, I, I have um, had a, a series of, of relationships, some of which go back to my, you know, time in Dorchester, my time at Latin school, my time in the seminary, my time in the state house, mm-hmm. uh, and, and retaining those relationships because you just never know where the next opportunity, where the next insight will come from. Right. And also you sort of bring with you through the course of your career and the course of your life, a series of trusted advisors who you know when it really gets to the point where you don't know what to do, mm-hmm. you can ask them and they'll be honest with you. Very, very important. You know, I, I want to underscore that point because as you know, I talk a lot about strategic networking and the importance of cultivating relationships and underlying what I'm hearing you say that underlying all of these lucky quote unquote opportunities were solid relationships, relationship building, cultivating key connections, and not just connections, really getting to know people to the point where they trusted you with those new opportunities. So tell us a little bit about relationships and and how that all played in to your success. I think the key to success is not to build a group of relationships or a group of trusted advisors and then stop. Mm -hmm. It should continue through every phase of your career. You'll meet different people. There'll be different circumstances. You'll have the opportunity to get to know people. And if you're open to that, you'll then expand, you know, back to this notion of expanding the pie. It's not like... If, if, if you become a trusted advisor and, and you are, Juliet, a trusted advisor, Thank it you. doesn't mean that somebody that I met at the seminary no longer, all right, we have, you know, eight seats on the bench. Juliet is now on the bench. So number one, it's like the kids in the bed roll over, like you got to, <laughs> now you got to go. Um, and so if you're, if you're open to it, you begin to expand the circle of people who you trust and hopefully who they trust you and you can take advantage of that, that network mm-hmm. to evaluate what should I do? What should I say? How do I move? How do I continue to um, influence the public discourse around growing the pie, which is what I think um, is, is so important. And, you know, cutting to the chase and, and the job that I have now, talking to somebody last night about saying to me, you, you have influence. And it's like, yes, you do. I guess I do. And, <laughs> and I, I go back to that, that first major address that I was able to give in January of 2020, where I, I laid out a vision for why we call ourselves a commonwealth. And so mm-hmm. if that's, that's an expression of what I think my particular dream is all about, and how mm-hmm. do we how do we use all the resources at our disposal, private sector, nonprofit, government, education, to create a commonwealth that works for everyone? And, and I remember 
vividly in that speech talking about things like, we cannot be happy if educational outcomes are different based on your zip code. Right. It's not right. We have to fix that. Health disparities, economic opportunity disparities, net worth disparities. And so these are the things that, that motivate me because I truly believe that it's the private sector that has the power to create a better, a better world, a better commonwealth, mm-hmm. a better community, wherever you happen to be. And, and we really have to bear down on that. And, and despite all the challenges that, that are part and parcel of that, we have to try to make that dream a reality because I think that's the only path to success. Very, very powerful, very powerful words. And, and and I know that those are words that you believe. I, I I watch you, I see your passion and your commitment to it. And I have to say though, uh, or maybe, maybe it's more of a question. Why is it that you think that more leaders, you know, uh, we're, we're talking, our listeners are professionals, they're entrepreneurs, they're leaders, aren't, don't seem to quite get the connection between equity and that expansion of the pie and creating an environment where everyone can foster? Um, I don't have a great answer. I, I hate to fall back on sort of my, my, my own personal history, but I grew up in an environment where I'll just talk about my Boy Scout troop, right? Mm-hmm. Troop 74 in Dorchester, <laughs> the first really integrated Boy Scout troop in Dorchester mm-hmm. because our neighborhood was integrated. And the scoutmaster at the time made it clear that he wanted kids from all over that neighborhood to be part of the Boy Scout experience. And it was terrific. You know, we had black kids in the patrols and white kids and everyone got along great. There was never a problem. And, and as I moved through, even at Latin school, you know, not super integrated, but more integrated, I think, than people understood. And I, and I think you got exposed. The nice thing about the kid from Dorchester going to Latin school is you got to meet other students from all around the city of Boston. So yeah. I've always had this appreciation that it's not just me and, and my, you know, group of people or, you know, my piece of society that looks like me, we're not mm-hmm. the only piece. There are other pieces. Right. And, and, and you need to have uh, an understanding of how important it is for all the people to be successful because mm-hmm. the alternative is you create resentment, you create well, inequity. I mean, the, the inequity is there, right. but you really have to be committed to trying to do something about it because at the end of the day, if we don't fix it, it, it has the potential to tear us apart. Right. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I think we have so many examples of that, sadly, you know, uh, particularly in, in recent years and, and, and even well be- beyond that. And, and so, yeah, it, it's a big problem. So I, I appreciate you answering the question. And, you know, as, as our listeners can tell, this is definitely a, a live, unrehearsed conversation. Right. Uh, I, I, would, I would say yeah. this, if I could, I think, sure, absolutely. you know, d- d- different people have um, varying degrees of commitment to this, right? We know people who are passionate about it. We know people who pay it lip service. And, and I'm sure there are those who don't think about it much at all. And at the end of the day, I think all I can control is me. And I'm, my 
you know, commitment is to use the, the pulpit that has been granted to me as a result of this job to continue to express these thoughts and express this vision and dream as something that we can aspire to. Now, I don't know that, you know, by the time my career is over, we're going to get there. I, I suspect we may not, <laughs> but I'd like to be able to say we're closer than we were, you know, when I started in uh, 2019. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're certainly setting the meal, the wheels in, in motion. And so I want to switch gears just for a little bit, you know, as I think about our entrepreneurs who may be listening in to the the podcast and given the the role of aim and and the work that you do and the commitment also to equity and inclusion what advice do you have for entrepreneurs or others who may be thinking about how can they play a role uh, to take advantage of this moment that we're in and understanding that it's not going to be easy, but there are opportunities and that there are things that people can do to expand the pie and to achieve that vision that they may have for themselves. So I know as we moved through the summer of 2020 and all the horrible things that happened, many individuals from the black and brown community, yourself included, you know, said to me, this feels different. Mm -hmm. And so I think the the task is to make sure that the difference endures and that and that you're able to take as much advantage as you can. I'll speak from my own organization. I, I tell members who are looking for opportunities, if you think I can help you, call me. Mm-hmm. And if I can, I will. Mm-hmm. And if I can't, I'll be honest with you and say, I, I don't think I can help you with that. Yeah. And I think one of the hallmarks of a really good entrepreneur is somebody with a passion for whatever the business is, whatever the product is, whatever the service is. You want to make it as as great as you can make it. You want to make it as widely known as you can make it. And you want to connect with as many people who you think could take advantage of your great idea and and make it their own. And so it does kind of come down to relation. Well, start at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, awareness, networking, relationships, connections. And, and as that network becomes more and more solid, you now have more people who are kind of trying to help you, tr- trying yeah. to um, move your, pro- your entrepreneurial dream forward mm-hmm. and, and, you know, introducing you to resources that maybe you have never heard of before. Right. You know, one of the one of the fun things about Massachusetts, like I, I like to think that I'm up on all the different opportunities a business would have um, to be successful. I was on a call about a week, maybe two weeks ago, hearing about all these programs that have been in existence for two years. I've never heard of them. Wow. And so I have a call <laughs> later today with the person who runs the program. And it's like, all right, how did I miss all this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you missed it as plugged in as you are, <laughs> that means a lot of other people missed and, and it, that, right? And that's the point that I'm going to yeah, make to the yeah, person running yeah. the program. If, if I don't know, then we have a lot of PR right, work to do. Right Now, right. arguably a lot, you know, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people were inward focused, survival of the business, right? don't have time to think grand thoughts 
or attend grand events because there weren't any. But as we you know, figured out how to operate in the pandemic, I think a lot of us remained in contact, remained doing the networking that's so important. Right. Um, and as we, you know, come out into the spring and the early summer, hopefully we'll see a return to some of those in-person events. And, and that will give people the opportunity to re-engage. Yeah. And, and, and sort of rekindle that expansion of economic opportunity that I think makes the difference. And I think I'm hoping, mm-hmm. you know, you read that, you know, uh, black entrepreneurs in particular don't have the the same access to capital that, that white entrepreneurs do. That's something we need to address. You know, we right. need to make sure that 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 seed capital and and other forms of financing are available. And there are programs, there are organizations that will help with that. And we just need to make sure we're making those connections so that. Yeah the entrepreneur isn't sort of sitting at their laptop trying to figure out where to go, you know, maybe we can help provide a bit more of a roadmap to connect right. them with the, the things that they need. Right. Absolutely. And, and that goes for, for so, so many folks. While we are nearing the end of our time together, this is such a fabulous conversation that I do want to hear from you. What are some of the, if you had to pick one or two things that you want our listeners to walk away with, and you have listed so many, (laughs) but if if you had to pick, you know, uh, let's say one or two, what do you think are are the key, key points that you'd want folks to walk away with? Well, the first obviously is if you're not a member of AIM, you should join. You can cut that out if you want. (laughs) We'll we'll leave it in. (laughs) No, I, I think, um, the most important thing is, you know, to remain open, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think right now, and listen, I feel it myself. There's so much going on that that challenges your worldview and, and makes it seem foreboding, right? Especially during the pandemic. It's like mm-hmm. things were, at times, things were really bad. But stay open, stay upbeat and positive, and keep doing the work that you're passionately committed to mm-hmm. and, and the breaks will come. They might not come right away. Uh, they may take some time. Actually, I, I have this great expression that I picked up. My daughter was out. She's in the music business. She was out in LA doing a project and the individual that was helping load the car, you know, bellboy. Oh, what are you guys here for music? Oh, great. Well, you know, the expression, it takes eight to 10 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> right. So right. It's, it's that, it's that slow, deliberate, just yeah. keep on trucking and, uh, and it will happen. I agree with you to a large extent. I, I do think, and as you pointed out for entrepreneurs of color and people who may not have the access and networks that some others may have, it's really, really important that they stay positive and and have that dream and uh, continue to connect with like-minded people. And I always say, go where the energy is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or for people like yourself who are, who are committed to uh, seeing change and, and to helping others. So, so I really really appreciate your comments there. And, and if anybody listening, uh, notwithstanding the smart alecky remark about joining AIM, if anybody thinks you know, a conversation with me would be helpful. I'm open to that. So feel free to 
to reach out, I'm, I'm more than happy to help. Terrific. And with that, if you can tell our listeners how they can reach you, John, that would be fantastic. So the best and the quickest way is by email. Uh, and my email address is jregan, R-E-G-A-N, at A-I-M-N-E-T dot org. jregan at aimnet.org. Terrific. Terrific. Oh, John, thank you so much for joining us for today's conversation. Really, really appreciate you uh, having this conversation with me. And for our listeners, we started the conversation with talking about dreaming big and, and making sure that you have that grand vision. And John gave us so much to think about and shared his story of how he leveraged networks and 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 his commitment to doing more and having a, a bigger impact to arrive at where he has. And I so hope that each and every one of you who are listening will take away some of those nuggets and put a plan together. I always encourage my listeners to put a little action plan together. What is it that you will do differently from this day forward, having heard this fantastic conversation? I know one of the ones I definitely am mindful of is keep expanding the pie, right? Keep cultivating relationships and making sure that you are also staying open to new possibilities. So so with that, I want to thank you again. And for all of you, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe if you haven't already done so and share it with your network and with your people. I want to once again, want to thank John Regan, who is the CEO of Associated Industries of Massachusetts. And thank you, John. We look forward to seeing listeners on the next episode of Entering the Inspiration Zone. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.